I said last week I thought I was done with the Spirit of Jesus teaching series thing we were doing. And I came off the stage and uh, one of my friends on ministry team said, I don't think you're done with that. And I think you're supposed to speak on Jesus as, or the Holy Spirit as our comforter. And of course I knew the scriptures he's referring to and I was thinking about that. I said, all right, I'll, I'll pray about that. And the Lord had already given me a seed of a sermon. And uh, if you could leave that pad on while we just do this prayer part, that'd be great. And um, the Lord gave me a seed for the message today. And as I prayed into it this week, I realized those two ideas went together. And so I am going to talk to you today about the Holy Spirit being our comforter, our counselor, our helper, our advocate. Those are all English words for the same thing, as we'll discover here in a few minutes. But I've, I had this vision of doing this today, reading Psalm 23 over us and um, giving us a, a picture, a metaphor of what the Holy Spirit does as our comforter, counselor, friend. You know, scripture says Jesus is the good shepherd, but the Holy Spirit is the spirit of Jesus. So the, you have a good shepherd living inside of you with you all the time. And so I want to read Psalm 23, 1 through 6, and then I want to highlight one of those verses and talk about that. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This psalm obviously talks about Jesus as our good shepherd, and there's so much we could highlight and talk about. But I felt led to just highlight verse 5 where it says, You anoint my head with oil. Now, if you know scripture, your first thought goes to the priests being anointed with oil on their heads. And this was, this is something we see in scripture quite a bit to signify leadership. It's kind of how God call, calls us to set people apart for leadership in the Old Testament mostly. So anointing with oil represents God's choice, God's favor, bestowing of honor. and blessing but also throughout scripture oil represents the Holy Spirit and this is in the context of Jesus being our good shepherd so it's actually not really talking about setting someone apart for leadership it's talking about sheep and I learned a few months ago that shepherds will actually uh, pour oil or anoint a sheep's head with oil. It's something that they will do quite often. Um, and not just a little little dab on the forehead like we do sometimes when we pray for people to be polite. Um, but they'll pour oil all over the sheep's head. And the reason that they do this is because of flies. Now when we think of flies, we think of their nuisance, right? We think they're kind of annoying, but we get over it. Unfortunately for sheep, they're a lot bigger problem than that. Um, these flies will um, get into their nose, sometimes into their eyes or ears, and, and their whole goal is to lay their eggs. And those eggs hatch and become larvae, which is another word for worms, which will then eat at the flesh of the sheep and its nose, sometimes eyes and ears. And this is such a problem, or can become such a problem, that 
it causes great pain and irritation. In serious cases, it can cause the sheep to go blind, totally. Um, and there have been known severe cases where sheep will beat their heads against the ground and, and rocks uh, to try to get relief. And some have even been known to kill themselves trying to relieve the pain and the irritation of these flies. And so a good shepherd will take oil, which is something costly. This is not just water. It's not easy to get. And they'll pour it on the sheep's head. And what that does is it forms a protective barrier between the sheep and the flies. The flies can't land in the oil. And so instead of the torment of these flies, the sheep now have peace. And I believe the Lord wanted me to share that with you and that this is what he actually wants to do this today. He wants to anoint your head and your, your soul with oil because we have flies called demons <laughs> that can just get in our eyes and affect our sight, get in our ears and affect our ability to hear the Lord. They can really be irritating and, and more than that, they can really be a problem and cause us to, I don't know about any of you, but have moments where you want to beat your head against a rock to try to get some relief. And we have a good shepherd who paid the price to purchase the oil that he wants to anoint us with today, and that's his Holy Spirit. And so let's pray, and I'm going to ask him to do that right now. Jesus, I just pray right now that you would pour out your oil on these people. I pray that you would anoint our heads, our hearts, our minds, our wills, our emotions, even our bodies, God, with the oil of your Holy Spirit. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. I want to talk to you today about the Holy Spirit as our comforter, counselor, advocate, helper. Um, I couldn't pick just one of those words because those are all English words for the same word that the Bible uses in Greek, John chapter 14 through 16. These three chapters happen right after um, the Last Supper where, of course, they eat the Last Supper. Jesus washes their feet. Judas leaves to betray Jesus. And then Jesus says, all right, let, let's go. And they go out, and they're headed to the Mount of Olives. And, um, of course, he's going to go there to pray, to prepare himself in prayer for uh, the suffering he's about to endure. And on the way there, and probably once they got there, because was, this was a long conversation, Jesus talks to them and just teaches them a whole lot of stuff. He has given them one final download before he goes to the cross. And that's John 14 through 16. It's one long conversation. And it's interesting to me that this is the passage of Scripture where Jesus talks the most about the Holy Spirit. And it's, it's the passage of Scripture where we hear the most about the Holy Spirit prior to the book of Acts. And so I want to read you a few of the verses that Jesus weaves in as he's talking about uh, all these different things. Um, and as he's coming to the end of his time on earth to be with them in the flesh, um, you know, he keeps, he keeps reiterating the importance of the Holy Spirit. Because as we know, as we've talked about in this series, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. Um, and he's not with us in the flesh anymore, but he is with us in spirit. And that's not just a nice metaphor. That is a very real, powerful thing. So John 14, starting 15 and 16, he says, If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. So he's talking about the Holy Spirit, but he uses this word that we translate in English, English that is advocate. It's this Greek word parakletos, or paraclete, as some 
say it. And this word has three main meanings. Um, the first one is a legal advocate. That's where we get the translation advocate. And this is someone of a high social standing who has power, who has influence, who literally comes alongside someone else to plead their case or plead their cause in a legal setting. So this is what we would think of as like a defense attorney. All right? So someone who is helping you, but they have power, they have influence, they're educated, they have knowledge, and they know what they're talking about, right? So, as, you know, this is for you dads. Sometimes, you know, your wife tells you you should get the kids to help you on the car so that you teach your son how to, how to do the things, but you know that your son at three years old is not really going to be a helper. So you're like, I don't really want to ask him to help, help me right now. It's not that kind of helper. This is like defense attorney, someone way more knowledgeable than you, way higher social status, way, way more power and influence, who's going to come alongside you to help you. That is what this word means. The second meaning is an intercessor. Someone who intercedes and intervenes on your behalf. And we know in Romans 8 it says, even when we don't know what to pray for, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with wordless groans, to bring us into the will of God. You know, we talked about speaking in tongues a week or so ago, whenever that was, and um, I've, I, we were praying with the band before that. It's like music is a form of speaking in tongues. The word tongues just means languages. You know, music is a language. <laughs> Groaning is a form of speaking in tongues. When you're praying and, praying and you don't know what to pray, and you're just overwhelmed with grief or sorrow or, or worry or fear, you just groan, man, that's the Holy Spirit. Like, I'll take that, and I will translate that to the Lord to bring you into the Father's will. The third meaning of the word parakletos, it just means helper, an aid, an assistant, an armor bearer, someone who is there to help you through, through whatever you go through. And that, it's from this meaning that they will often translate it as comforter or counselor because of the way in which the Holy Spirit most often helps us, which is through comforting and through counseling as we're going to see. And, and I just want to encourage you, Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help. We not only have an ever-present help, we have an ever-present helper. You know, in the Old Testament, God would cause his spirit to come on people in power. But if you've ever read Psalm 51, where David says, Lord, please don't remove your Holy Spirit from me. Why did he pray that? Because he knew the stories of the judges. He knew what happened to Saul. The Holy Spirit would come on them in power for a purpose. But then if they sinned or fell into disgrace, God would remove his favor on their life. And I don't know if some of you have ever been in such a terrible moment of your life where you've asked God, Oh Lord, please, please, please don't remove your Holy Spirit from me. And I'm here to tell you today that in the new covenant, he gives his Holy Spirit for good. So you not only have an ever-present help, you have an ever-present helper, 24-7, 365. And I would say the moments when you mess up and feel like you don't deserve it, that's when whew, he is there to help you the most. When the accuser is breathing down your neck and in your ear and accusing you to the truth of God's word that you know, saying, look, you failed, look, you don't measure up. That's when your paracletos advocate defense attorney says, get off of his back, get off of her back. I paid for this sin on the cross and he reapplies the gospel to your life and he reminds you of this I'm getting ahead of myself so moving on John 14 he also says all this I've spoken while still with you but the advocate the parakletos the defense attorney right the helper the intercessor the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name he will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. Now, one of my friends on ministry team, Jonas, pointed out to me after last service. He said, I was supposed to tell you this. And he's like, that verse, all these verses you're reading, he's like, the context is the Last Supper where he just told them, hey, Satan's going to sift you as wheat. You're all going to fall away. And, and Peter, when your faith returns strength, in other words, you're going to deny me three times. 
And then he's telling them, but I give you peace. And don't let your hearts be troubled about all this. Isn't that wild? He says, my peace I give to you, and I don't give as the world gives. Because sometimes in the world, people give you something, and then if their heart changes towards you, they go, you know what? Give me that back. And Jesus is saying, my peace is permanent. And what he's saying is, there's a connection here when this advocate comes, this Holy Spirit. There's going to be a connection between the Holy Spirit and the peace that comes into your life. John 15, 26, later on, he says, again, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. So one of the main things the Holy Spirit's going to do is testify to us about Jesus, okay? In John 16, 12, and 13, he says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. Man, I feel like that every single Sunday, all right? But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is to come. He ends these three chapters before going into that famous prayer in John 17 with this statement. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Now, he says all these things for three chapters, and he keeps talking about the Holy Spirit. So there's this connection between the Holy Spirit as our helper and and the peace that God wants to bring into our lives. I've told you all these things, and I've told you about the Holy Spirit and who he is and what he's going to do so that you have peace. Because here's a promise from God. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. There's this connection between the Holy Spirit and the peace that Jesus wants to bring us. He's our advocate. He's our intercessor. He's our helper, our comforter, and our counselor. So how does he help us in our lives? Well, what did Jesus just say about him? He said, this, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of what? Truth. It's the Spirit of truth. Jesus said he'll guide you into all truth and remind you of what Jesus said which is the truth and he'll testify about me Jesus said and Jesus is the way the truth and the life right so one of the biggest things the Holy Spirit does and the one of the ways he comforts and counsels us and one of the ways he brings us peace or restores our peace when we've lost it is reminding us of truth, which is Jesus, because Jesus is the truth, and to testify to us about Jesus. In other words, if I could sum it up this way, one of the biggest things the Holy Spirit does is get us focused back on Jesus. Oh, that is the best amen I've ever gotten in my life. I'm done. Let's just go home. That was amazing. Oh. (laughs) Our biggest problem as believers, once eternity is settled, our biggest problem is getting our focus off of Jesus. Because once our focus is off of Jesus, that is when we are most susceptible to believing lies from the enemy. Believing lies about how the world works. Believing lies about the trauma and abuse that you've been through. And what that says about you. And what what that makes you believe about God and about yourself. Believing lies about yourself. Believing lies when you go through difficult times. You get your focus off of Jesus. That is when you're most susceptible to believe the lies of Jesus. The enemy, the best form of spiritual warfare is not, therefore, explicitly rebuking the devil, although that is a necessary form of spiritual warfare, which Jesus modeled for us, Matthew 4, verse 10. I've heard a lot of sermons about spiritual warfare and temptation and how Jesus quoted the word of God. Absolutely. We need the truth. We need the word of God. Absolutely. But in Matthew's account, verse 10, after 
sharing scripture with Satan three times, resisting him with scripture with the truth, the dude still won't leave. So Jesus says, away from me, Satan. (laughs) Then the dude finally leaves. These are rebellious spirits. And sometimes those flies get in your eyes and and you can't focus on Jesus because you got so many flies in your eyes. And so you just need to say, shoo fly in the name of Jesus. I renounce a spirit of fear. Get away from me. So that's necessary. All right. It's necessary. It's a necessary form of spiritual warfare. Acts chapter 16, the apostle Paul, (laughs) I love his story. He gets so annoyed by a slave girl who, who has a demon. That, that is like yelling about him and at him all day, which he ignores her for several days, which is amazing, which shows Paul's not afraid. If you had a demoniac, if you had someone possessed yelling at you and you knew it was a demon causing them to yell at you all day, would, you know, some of us would be fearful. Paul's just ignores her. Like, I'm about my father's business. I'm not worried about this demon. He's not afraid of the demons, right? But it says he gets so annoyed <laughs> that he says... In the name of Jesus, I command you, come out of her. And he delivers the little girl. And then we have no record that he, like, ministers to her and, like, leads her to Jesus and, like, gets her filled with the Spirit. No, he just was annoyed. And that's why he cast that one out. Like, it's amazing. So that's a necessary form of spiritual warfare. But it's not the best form of spiritual warfare. The best form of spiritual warfare is focusing on Jesus. It's a pro, proactive pursuit of who Jesus is and staying focused on him, staying focused on his truth, staying focused on his calling in your life, being about your father's business. That's the best form of spiritual warfare because if you are constantly, incessantly focused on Jesus, those flies can't find a place to land. That's why worship is so important. Worship is like all our heart, soul, mind, and strength focused on him. And man, both services, we arrived at this beautiful place today where we're just like, wow, he's here. He's awesome. I just want to, I didn't even want to sing. I'm just like, it's like you're in a spa, you know? I told somebody one time that feeling of like, that, that feeling is like, if you've ever had a massage and then they're done and they walk out of the room, and you're just like a pool of jelly laying there, total peace. And you're like, I don't want to get up. Like, that's what that's like. But worship is the goal. That's why we have prayer and preaching and all the things is to get us to a place where we're, we're just focused on his goodness because we trust him to take care of all the needs, seeking his face. And he'll take care of what we need, right? And so... The best form of spiritual warfare is staying focused on Jesus. We have an awesome promise from Scripture. In Isaiah 26, verse 3, that speaks to this. And, you know, when you read Scripture, there are these little keys of how... It's not like how it works. It's like who God is. It's His nature. And, and they're woven, they're hidden within big, long stories. And so sometimes you're reading the whole story in Isaiah or other passages, and you just skip right over these. But this one, it, it reveals to us something about God's nature and who he is. And so it's not just applicable for the Israelites at this time in the day of Isaiah, but it's applicable for all of us for all time because God never changes. This is who he is. And so this is one of his promises for us for all time. Isaiah 26, 3, you, God, will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. This is a promise from God that if we will keep our attention focused on Jesus constantly, we will have perfect peace. And as Jesus said, my peace I give to you, his peace is permanent which means perfect peace in this life is possible in so much as we stay focused on Christ. Which means this, if you ever find a moment where you lose your peace, it's not necessarily that you have sinned, although sin can cause you to lose your peace. It's not necessarily that you've sinned, 
But it does mean that you've taken your focus off of Jesus somehow. Or you've taken your focus off of his truth and what he says about you or about the way the world is. What he says about your situation. And so the Holy Spirit wants us to contend for perfect peace. He wants to give us perfect peace. It's available to us. And let's just be honest. We all have moments where we lose our peace. Our peace can be a fragile thing. I had a moment this week where I lost my peace. And uh, my wife was counseling me and said, honey, you just need to pray. You just need to pray. And I was frustrated because I, that particular day, I'd already prayed like an hour and a half. And I didn't have peace. I was frustrated. She said, you know, you're just, you just need to pray. You just need to pray. And so we were kind of debating, you know. And she goes, you know, Isaiah 26 verse 3 says that you'll keep in perfect peace. <laughs> Those whose minds stay on him because they trust. I said, I know that's my sermon this week. I know that. I know that. Don't preach to me, woman. The sermon that you prophetically discerned that I was preaching this week. So we all can lose our peace. It's hard to hang on to your peace when someone betrays you, when trauma happens, when a storm of life comes. And it reminds me of a moment when Peter lost his peace. It's in Matthew chapter 14 where um, Jesus goes up to pray on a mountain. He sends them ahead of him in a boat. And we discern from other passages in the context and all this that it's most likely at night. It says the waves were buffeting against them. The wind and the waves were against them. You know, it, there's a storm going on. And it, and it becomes very difficult. And they're beginning to be afraid because if this storm could, could sink their boat and they could all die, right? That's, that's a very real possibility in the natural. So they're, they're afraid. They're working hard. They're exhausted. And Jesus decides to <laughs> walk to them on the water. And it says he gets out there and they see him, and it says they were terrified because they thought he was a ghost. Which is funny to me, because, you know, Jesus didn't give them a heads up that, hey, I'm going to walk on water, and you might think I'm a ghost. So he, he doesn't give them an advance notice. He just does it. You know, sometimes God will do things that, to you, are different than things God has done before. And so they're terrified because they thought he was a ghost, because he was doing something that was different than anything he had done before. And I just find that, that to be interesting that in our modern-day American culture, um, a lot of Christians are terrified of Jesus because he is a ghost, and he does do things that are very strange to us. And I'm talking about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, of course. And if you ever find yourself in that moment, maybe where you're seeking the Lord about the Holy Spirit, and is this you, and do you do these things, and, and you might feel a little fearful and anxious or afraid, I would counsel you not to just run away or settle for theology that tries to justify your lack of experience or go against what the Bible actually says we should be experiencing. I think it's actually really wise to do what Peter did in this situation. So Peter's afraid. He thinks it's a ghost. But Jesus is like, it's me. It's Jesus. <laughs> and Peter says, if it's you, tell me to come to you. And so that's a really wise thing to do when you're trying to discern, like, Lord, I'm a little afraid. I don't know, is your Holy Spirit, is this you? You know, Ask him. Confirm this. Show me, right? So Jesus goes, it's me. Come on, you know? Which is interesting because walking in, on water was not Jesus' idea, right? It was Peter's idea. And so... Walking on the water was a very risky thing to do in a severe storm. The boat is your only source of insurance. It's your only protection. But Peter knows this storm's pretty severe. If that's Jesus, the safest place to be is with him. So if that's you, tell me to come to you. I'll get out of this boat. So Jesus says, it's me. He gets out of the boat. He's walking on water, the only disciple to walk on water. He is doing the same type of miracle that Jesus did. And those who believe shall do greater things, Jesus said, right? 
And so he's walking on water to Jesus, and that brings us to verse 30. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Of course, Jesus reaches him, saves him, says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I don't, sometimes you hear that through like a shaming father's voice. I think Jesus was like in the excited brother's voice, like, oh, you of little faith, like you were doing it. Why did you doubt? Oh, that was so epic, you know. But I also think this happens very quickly. Peter's walking on the water, and it says, when he saw the wind, he began to sing. So what changed that caused Peter to stop walking on water and to begin to sink, lose his peace, and cry out, Lord, save me? Did the storm become more intense? Nope. There's no record of that. The storm was intense, but it was intense when he was in the boat. It was intense when he said, Lord, if that's you, tell me to come to you. It was intense when he got out, and it was intense when he was walking on the water. It says when he saw the wind, the only thing that changed was he took his focus off of Jesus. Now, I think this all happens very quickly. I think sometimes we read this as like, take his focus off of Jesus. He was studying like, man, this storm's really getting intense, and I'm not really sure about, oh, no, I'm starting to see. You know, I think it was very quick. I think it was like, Wow, Jesus, this, I don't even know what's happening. Just stay focused on Jesus. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Oh, this wind. Boom. And he just goes. And he's like, Lord, save me. It's amazing how quickly you can lose your peace. Because spiritual warfare happens at the speed of thought. When he saw the wind, it's interesting in the Greek that the same word for wind, pneuma, is what when they say a spirit was in a person, or the Holy Spirit. It's the word pneuma, which breath, wind. And so often in our lives, we're just walking along. You might be walking on water with Jesus. Everything's great. And one little wind comes along that distracts you. One little spirit comes along. One little fly comes along that takes your focus off of Jesus. And all of a sudden, you lose your peace. And you're sinking in despair and fear and worry and hopelessness. Spiritual warfare happens at the speed of thought. You can lose your peace with a thought. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, we don't wage war like the world does. Our weapons have divine stronghold, divine power to demolish strongholds. What's a stronghold? Every high and lofty thing that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, a lie you're believing. So we take captive every thought. We take captive every thought, especially the thoughts that cause you to lose your peace. So in a moment, Peter loses focus on Jesus. He loses his peace. He begins to sink. He cries out in despair. I, th- I find it just as encouraging that if we can lose our peace in a moment, in a moment we can get our focus back on Jesus. And he say, Lord, save me. And boom, he saves him. And I, again, I think it happens very quickly. I think Peter cried out before he went underwater. I think Jesus grabbed him before he even went under. You know, how many of you seen that painting where it's like from the perspective of Peter under the water and, and like Jesus is like standing and he's kind of blurry and his hand is going down and his hand is in focus because it's under the water. I, you know, kudos to that artist. It's a very inspiring thing. I feel the feels when I see that painting, but I don't think it's actually how it happened. I don't think Peter actually went under the water. Do you know why I think that? Because he cried out, Lord, save me. He didn't cry out. It's right there in the text. That's such a good exegesis. So we can lose our peace at the speed of thought. Praise the Lord Jesus if we get focused back on him with a thought. Jesus can begin to restore our peace. But unfortunately what happens is because of unbelief and doubt, So many people lose their peace with just a thought, just a simple little thing. And they begin to sink. And they begin to despair. And they don't immediately go, I just lost my peace. Jesus! They just keep sinking. And they go under. 
And some people sink in despair and hopelessness and discouragement for weeks or months or years before they finally have a thought and they go, you know what? Maybe I should go back to church. You know what? Maybe I should pray about this. And I want to encourage you here today, even if that's you, even if you've been sinking for years and your prayers sound like blah, 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 from 20,000 leagues under the sea, the Holy Spirit knows. He's like, I can interpret that. I'm a good interpreter. <laughs> we'll get you out of this. He reached Psalm 40. He reached into the miry depths. You know, the further you sink in water, the more the pressure increases. And people sink down and they get pressured and pressured and they try alcohol and they try porn and they try all that. They try people. They try relationships. They try all the things to relieve the pressure. And God just lets the pressure increase until they call upon the one who can actually give them peace. Pull them up out. Set their feet on a rock and give them a firm place to stand and put a new song in their mouth. And many will see and fear and know the Lord. And that's what he wants to do for us today. He wants to restore our peace. But more than that, I think so often what happens in church is you've lost your peace in the week. We come to church to get our peace back. And we and we we have you hear a good sermon or you we have a cool worship moment. You're like, oh, it's back. Okay, thank you. <laughs> then you go out and kids start arguing in the car on the way home. And before you get home, you've lost your peace again, and you lost it on them. <laughs> now they lost their peace, <laughs> and you're like, it's six more days. <laughs> what do we do? And so, my heart is. I know the Lord's already restored peace in this place today. My heart is to teach you, to disciple you of how to recognize the moment you lose your peace, to keep a short account with God and to go, how do I get back if I do lose it? How do I get right back like Peter so I can keep walking on water, just keep going, stay focused on him? And I'll say there's two main ways, and it's, it's, it's kind of like physical health. Eat right and work out. I mean, there's just no way around it, guys. You know what I'm saying? And it's really similar in the spirit. How do you keep your peace? And if you lose it, how do you get it back? There's two main ways. Well, it's focusing on Jesus, right? Number one, scripture. Get in the word of God. Read it. Or put it on your Bible app and play it. Why is it that the people that I know that are the most mature in faith, who have the greatest faith, they don't go, I know the Bible. <laughs> I don't really read it that much. No, the ones that I know that know it the best, read it the most. Why? Because they know they need to constantly stay focused on the word. Because memory fades. And so reading, when you read scripture, you are, you are focusing on the truth. You're focusing on the worldview of the truth. You're fo you read scriptures about God's nature. It reminds you of the gospel. So many, so many things that it does. But the actual practice of reading, think about this. Spiritual warfare is in your thoughts, right? The battle's in the mind. The flies are buzzing, and you're like, ah, oh, what is going on? When you read or when you hear someone preach, why are these powerful mediums to focus on the Lord and to receive from the Lord? Because you have to actively focus to be able to read or to listen and tune into a message. Do you know what happens? Your mind is incredible. You have the power to focus just like I can move my arm and tell my arm to pick this up and to do this and to do this. Your mind has a muscle where you can focus your thoughts.
when you read, part of the reason scripture is powerful when you read it, it's, it's powerful because it's his truth, right? It's living and active, right? But part of the reason that practice, that habit, that discipline is powerful is because when you are reading, you're focusing on that, which means you're not focusing on what? All the stuff that's stealing your peace. So you're literally like shutting the flies out and you're barricading yourself in with the truth of God. It's doubly powerful. It's a double-edged sword. Scripture itself is powerful. There was a recent study for the Center for Bible, by the Center for Bible Engagement where they pulled 40,000 people, general population in the U.S., ages 8 to 80 years old, on how much they read the Bible, how many times per week, like how many days per week do you read the Bible, and then what difference does that make in your life? And what they found is people who read the Bible one to two times per week, there, there really wasn't much difference in their life as far as the effect it had in a very practical way. When people read the Bible three days a week or three times a week, there started to be some noticeable changes. But when people read the Bible four times a week, like on separate days, listen to the changes that were reported on average. People who read the Bible four times or more a week, feeling lonely dropped by 30%. Anger decreased by 32%. Bitterness in relationships dropped by 40%. Consumption of alcohol dropped by 47%. Feeling spiritually stagnant dropped by 60%. Viewing of pornography dropped by 61%. Sharing faith increased by 200%. Discipling others increased by 230%. That's just from reading the Bible. I noticed when I read that, one of the thoughts I had was four times a week, that's a majority of days, four out of the seven days. So you're reading the Bible more days than you're not reading it. And then you start to see all these changes take place. Wow. And so developing a habit where you're in Scripture for a substantial amount of time, uh, every, and I would say every morning, I think it's really powerful to start your day with that. And then the second thing that I would focus you on to focus you on Jesus when if you consider the totality of scripture it's probably the the biggest spiritual discipline that's talked about the most often and that is prayer you know when you read scripture your your mind can still debate like atheists read scripture to like see if it's true or not right and so you can read scripture you can hear a sermon you can your mind can be on ah, I don't know I don't know about this you know But if you make a conscious choice to pray, (laughs) you want to talk about, there's no more explicit way to focus your attention on God, on Jesus. And even if you've never done it before, those, I love to hear people pray out loud who are like, well, I've never done it before. I'm like, awesome. It blesses. It's like that kid who said, amen. That is what it sounds like. And they're like, oh, and they think they're fumbling around. I've heard some of the most profound prayers. We, we had a group one time, and we closed the group. We said, okay, everybody just pray for the person on your right as we close. And I, I felt the whole room tense up. And I was like, what just happened in here? Everybody got scared. Like, fear just came into this room. What happened? We were having a good time. And I was like, is everybody all right with that? Are you okay? Like, three or four of the people were like, I've never prayed out loud before. And I was like, and then I was like, oh, my gosh. And I was like, wait, it's okay. And it could be like a sentence. Just try it. I'm like, okay. I'm like, you'll do great. It'll be fine. You know, lots of coaching. We finally do it. Me, few others, we go on for like three or four minutes praying for the, everybody's just like, oh, good prayer, whatever. These people who never prayed before out loud, they do like, Lord, um, I just asked that. It's like one sentence. And, and everybody in the room's like, like so profound it's amazing you're literally focusing on god no more explicit way to get your attention focused on him so paul writes this in philippians 4 4 through 9 and remember i want to read verse 4 and 5 because he's he's really getting into talking about prayer but listen to how he sets it up rejoice in the lord always i'll say it again rejoice let your gentleness be evident to all the lord 
is near. Truth of scripture, promise from the word, the Lord is near. He is not distant. I know you're sinking because you haven't been focused on him, but he's here. He is near. And he's saying, rejoice. I'll say it again. Rejoice. What do you have to do when you rejoice? If life's really terrible, you might have to work at it, but you have to find something to rejoice in, meaning you have to focus on the positive instead of all the junk. The word of God says, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. God will not command you to do something that's impossible for you to do, which means there's no circumstance that comes along that you can't give thanks within that circumstance. It doesn't mean that you're thankful for some of the bad things that happen. But it means as they're happening, there's always something good you can be thankful for. And God's saying, find those things. Focus on the positive. Rejoice. Say it again. Rejoice. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Again, a promise from the word of God. If you pray and not pray and focus on him from an anxious place, but pray from a trusting place, because there's a condition to the promise in Isaiah 26.3, you'll keep in perfect peace to him whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And I don't know about you, but I've been guilty of praying from an anxious place before. It's like, Lord, I need you to do this. And if you don't do this, I don't know what I'm going to do. And then you and then you stop praying. You start looking around. Did he do it? Lord, you didn't do it yet. Lord, if you don't do it, I don't know what I'm going to do. And your peace depends on a circumstance. And if God answers your prayer a certain way. And that is not what our peace depends on. And there's so much in light of eternity that just doesn't matter. So many of the things, the worst circumstances in life, let me give you a word from God that will just give you peace. This life will be over in a blink. Then it's eternity. I console myself. This is the gospel. This is the word. I console. you got to preach the word to yourself sometimes. I preach this to myself all the time. This is really horrible. I don't like it. It's really bad. Paul would call it, though, a light and momentary trouble. Because I'm going to blink and this life's over. And then I'm sipping pina coladas on a beach with Jesus. He said paradise. That's my version. So, non-alcoholic, calm down. Or will there be alcohol in heaven? He said, I don't drink it again until the... Okay, not going to get into that today. (laughs) But my point is, Ask yourself this next time you're freaking out, losing your peace. In light of eternity, how much will this matter? But the dog got loose and he almost got hit by a car and I was yelling and I cursed in front of my kids and now they think I'm a heathen and it's just terrible. In light of eternity, how much does this matter? I just felt peace come into the room. Pray from that place. Uh, Jesus, even if this doesn't happen, oh, Jesus. I'm good. I trust you. I just did a funeral of a friend of mine who was 32 years old and died of a brain tumor. And you know our church has faith. And we prayed for him so much. He had faith. He had unshakable peace. He would come into church and be like, just had another surgery. Just had a seizure this week. And I'd be like, oh, oh. But he was emotionally unaffected. I would just be are you all right? Yeah, I'm okay. It's getting worse, I guess. But he acted like he didn't care. I'm like, are you all right? Yeah, I got Jesus. Whatever happens, I'm good. He would say that over and over. He sent me a text about a month before he passed away, and I read it at his funeral. We were talking about this song that we were texting each other songs and stuff. He sent me a song he liked, and we were talking about it. And then out of note, randomly, he just said, even if God decides... It's my time to go home. I still win. And I was like, amen, man. That's a good word. It's peace. Peace. Pray from that place. The most important thing in your life, 
is eternity and it's settled. It's under the blood. Pray from that place. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything with thanksgiving. Again, find focus on the positive. Pray. And if you pray from that place, from a trusting place, here's what will happen. The peace of God, the oil will come. And the flies scatter. And it will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. It's a promise from the word. And so Paul says, as we're praying, finally, next verse. Brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. What's he saying? It's not just about proactively focusing on Jesus. Focus on all the good, which means what? He, what he's saying here is stop focusing on the bad. And I do have to give you this word of exhortation. Some of you complain about the flies and the fear and the anxiety and the worry. And you're like, I try to pray and it doesn't help. Blah, blah, blah. And for some of you, it's because you go around through the week sticking your nose, sticking your face in a fly's nest rubbing it all and then you go out from there and you wonder why you're depressed and fearful and anxious because you put things in front of your eyes and in front of your ears you watch shows that glorify murder and sex and and all kinds of horrific things this time of year oh let's watch the horror movie let's watch Friday the 13th yeah let's watch somebody murder everyone I got a word for you. Horror movies are explicitly demonic. Explicitly. Explicitly. Watch them at your own peril. You might get more than some flies on you from that. And there's a whole lot of other stuff. You need to draw the lines differently in what you allow into your life. You need to stop going like your parents told you growing up. Is it rated R? Can't watch it. You know the passions rated R. I think everybody should watch that. Is it rated R or not? Don't, don't judge based on that. Here's how you should judge. Does it take my attention and focus off of Jesus? And so some of us, we speak for yourself. Some of you watch shows. I've learned not to do. I used to do this, and I've learned not to that are full of sex and murder and crime and gross stuff. And then you go to bed and you think it has nothing to do with your depression or your anxiety or your propensity to greater temptation. But when you watch a show about murder, it, it, you're like, well, it's just a story. I'm just getting it. It gets thoughts and thought patterns going in your head. And I've done this a few times. Oh, it's a crime show. Oh, like, oh, mystery. Okay, we'll figure it out. Who did it? Or whatever. And the thought patterns get going. And I'm like, wow, people are really evil. Like, really evil. People are horrible to one another. People abuse. The th oh, this is gross. Oh. And I'm just like, humanity is awful. We're terrible. And I'm just thinking about how bad we all are. And it steals my joy and peace. Or you listen to music, and it's, oh, it's got a good beat. It's a cool rap song. I don't know what he's saying, but it's cool. And it's all about sex, illicit, gross stuff even. It, some of these songs, if I read you the lyrics, I can't even say an acronym in church of a hit song because of the thoughts it would call into your mind that are grotesque. Oh, it's got a good beat or whatever. I don't really listen to the words. The flies are landing. Thought patterns are going. And then you go out, you turn that off and get out of your car and you go to work and you wonder why you're being tempted more with lust. Like, man, I thought I overcame that porn thing. Why do I just feel this pull? Because you just let some flies into your life. And I joked around first service. I said, you know, you stick your face in a fly's nest. I'm like, I don't even know if flies have nests. You know, like, what does that even mean? I don't know if that works in this analogy. And one of my friends afterwards, who's a farmer, came up to me and he goes, yeah, they do. It's manure. It's where they lay their eggs. It's the fly's nest. 
I was like, that'll preach, but I'm not going <laughs> to expound. So it's not, stay focused on Jesus. You got to cut out the stuff that's not Jesus. And there's enough good art and good music and good movies in the world to focus on that. Get in the word four times a week or more and pray. Last verse I want to read to you from Philippians. Remember, he's just talked about prayer. And he says, and whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. What, Paul says, do what I've been doing. You've watched me. You watch how I live. Do what I've been doing. And this was really the seed thought for this sermon is we were in a prayer time a Wednesday or two ago, and I had a vision of the Psalm 23 thing and the oil and this prayer that I pray all the time for myself, all the time. And whenever I do prayer sessions, inner healing deliverance prayer sessions with people, I always tell them, like, I know you feel better right now, but you also need to learn to pray for yourself and all this. And, and here's this prayer that I'm going to send to you I pray it all the time, and here's, here's when I pray it. When I'm having overwhelming negative emotions of any sort, I will pray this prayer. Here lately, I've been praying this prayer every day. Um, not necessarily, be, there are days I pray it that I don't have overwhelming negative emotions, but it's a powerful prayer. Um, it's by John Eldridge, and he is the author of Wild at Heart. He's a Christian counselor. He knows spiritual warfare on a deep level, he does inner healing and all that stuff. And he wrote this prayer out of necessity. And this is in his book, Walking with God, by the way. And basically, as he's counseling people, he started noticing this pattern in his life where whoever he was counseling, after he would get out of that session, he would feel himself being tempted with whatever they had confessed to him, whatever their big issues were. So for example, if he was counseling someone who had major anger issues, he would help them, pray for them. He's fine in the session, you know. Then he goes home, and he's like, I'm just kind of agitated. I'm just kind of more, less, less patient with my own children, you know, and as well. And he started seeing this correlation. He would counsel someone who's been severely sexually abused, or maybe they, they you know, fall into sexual sin or have a sexual sin habit in their life, and he's helping, oh, he's helping them, he's fine in the session, you know, prays for him. He gets out of the session, he's like, I just notice I'm being tempted more. I'm having more tempting thoughts about lust and those types. Like, what is this? And he started, it started happening so often that um, he's like, oh, and theologically, it's not that hard to, to discern that if somebody has a demonic issue, um, and so they got a demon on their back, and you're trying to fight that off with them, well, that thing's going to turn on you too, right? It doesn't like that. So warfare can be transferred. You can have warfare just being in the proximity. We have prophetic discerner people in our church who you can go into certain spaces and you're just like, oh, what's in here? You know? And uh, by the way, sometimes you can experience that and you can internalize it and think it's you when you're really discerning something someone else is struggling with. And God gives you those gifts to know how to pray for people. But anyways, so he was experiencing this. So he wrote this prayer. And it's a long prayer. It takes about 12 to 15 minutes to just read, to just pray out loud. Um, but he says on his website, he's like, why the long, why this long prayer? And he's like, it just works. And he basically says, on days when you're facing heavy oppression, where the enemy's attacking in a greater way, Help me, Jesus just doesn't cut it sometimes, which I think, based on what we're talking about today, has to do with those little prayers we fire up. We're just not focused on him long enough <laughs> to get the flies to actually leave us alone. It's like this. Help me, Jesus. And they come right back. But when you take about 15 minutes and do some serious praying, they get sick of it and they leave you alone. And this prayer is super powerful. I've used it for years now um, because it has kind of everything that you would want to do in prayer. It starts out with surrender. Lord, I give myself over to you again today. We're bringing yourself back under his lordship. You pray through each member of the Trinity at some point in this prayer. 
It, there's also spiritual warfare aspects to this prayer several different times in different ways. Praying against anything you're feeling oppressing you, doubt, worry, fear, those types of things. But also uh, praying against any witchcraft done against you um, in various ways. And you might even read some of this and be like, what is this? Hex, vex, spell, weave, web, shroud, charm. Like, what, what are these? I don't know the occult. You don't have to. But people do do that against you. Um, and, and if you're not prayed up, it can be effective. There is power in it. It's dark power. It is evil power. Um, so you, sometimes that's the problem. And this prayer takes care of it, right? You apply the blood of Jesus. Um, there's praise, there's adoration. So, so good. So many things. It takes a while to say, but it works. And so I want to share that with you. I've, this is my testimony with this prayer. And this is why I recommend it to everybody. I've found, I'll say about at least 90% of the time when I am really feeling discouraged or down or whatever the thing oppressed and I go, all right, praying this prayer. Nine times out of ten, it all lifts like 100%. And I have 100% peace. Which is, by the way, evidence that it's spiritual warfare oppression. And not, you know, you've lost your loved one and you have natural grief. Um, and so, it's super powerful. And this is the challenge I felt led to give you today. I'm going to tell you where it's at so you can find it. Um, and we'll remind you of it this week. But I want to challenge all of you to pray this prayer every single day this week. And then once you're done, go on and pray about whatever else you want to pray about, right? But I'm going to challenge you to pray this prayer. So you can find it at wildheart.com. And they have a lot of other prayers on their website that were really awesome. But also, I want to encourage you to go to our website, freepeople.church slash pray. Because there's another prayer on there called the House Blessing Prayer. So the John Eldridge Daily Prayer is first, and that's the one I want to challenge you to pray every day. The House Blessing Prayer, I want to challenge you if you've never prayed over your house in this way, House Blessing or House Cleansing Prayer, do that as well. Um, because sometimes demonic entities are not associated or attached with a person, but with a place. And real quick example... We have a story of someone who was severe, like clinical depression, severe, couldn't even get out of bed for, for many, many months, prayed the house blessing prayer over their household, and it immediately lifted because someone was practicing Hindu before them, lived there, and there was a bunch of bad spiritual juju in the house. And this person never struggled with depression before that, moved into this house, severe depression, Prayed one prayer. Literally took him 10 or 15 minutes to pray over their house. It immediately lifts. Has not struggled with it since. Um, and that was like several years ago. So, again, if you've never done that house blessing prayer, uh, I was joking with one of our staff members, like, we, we do it at our house like every three to six months now. <laughs> we lost our peace a little bit in our household. Let's do the house blessing again, you know. Um, and so... Do the house blessing prayer this week if you've never done it, but then also do the John Eldridge daily prayer every single day. And the reason I'm challenging you with that is a lot of you, some of you, I should say that, some of you, you lose your peace, you have these issues, anxiety, depression, all these things, and, and it's just a constant battle. And you're going to do this, and it's going to work, and you're going to go, whoa, and you're going to taste and see that God is good, and then it's that success is going to motivate you to want to pray even more. And to want to learn about prayer and why that worked, which is fascinating and so and fun. So do that, and I think it's really going to impact your week in a magnificent way. You know, Scripture says when uh, two or more are gathered, He's there among us. It says if two of you agree on anything, and it's in reference to prayer, there's power in prayer. One of you puts a thousand to flight, two put ten thousand to flight. You know, there's an exponential increase. So if a whole church begins praying in this way, boy, I can't wait to see what next Sunday is going to be like because I think we're all going to come in here different. And we're not going to come in here feeling heavy going, oh, I hope, they, I hope worship's good because I feel like crap. 
And it really depends on the team to perform enough to get me to feel better. <laughs> if we do this this week, focus on him, keep our peace all week, filled with gratitude, man, we're going to come in here and lift the roof off of this place. Amen. Miracles might even break out because <laughs> we're just focused on him. So it's going to be powerful. And I just want to encourage you. Um, yeah, we need this. Our, our church family is under a lot of spiritual warfare right now in this season. The devil really hates our church. Um, he hates everybody, but a lot of churches are all bound up in strongholds anyways, so he doesn't need to mess with them as much. But when you get free, oh, he hates that. When you start setting other people free, oh, he really hates that. I had a dream one time where he told me, <laughs> I really hate your church. <laughs> and I was like, yep, <laughs> I know. So um, pray this week. So go to the website, pray every day, pray this prayer, start with this prayer. It's going to be powerful. There's going to be some awesome testimonies that come out of this. And um, yeah, I was going to have us all pray it together before we left. But I think uh, for the sake of time, honor system. You're going to pray it, right? Okay. So we'll email that out as well. We'll make you aware of those posted on social so you can get those links and find that. And then we'll all do that this week. Let's pray right now. <sighs> Father God, I just thank you for the Holy Spirit. What a precious gift. Thank you for being in this place. Thank you for making your presence known. Thank you for drawing us in and leading us in worship today. Thank you for this message. Thank you for pouring your oil over us today, Jesus. <sighs> Thank you for your peace. Thank you for restoring peace. Thank you that when we get distracted by the dumbest things and we lose our peace, that you're just a word away. <laughs> Help me, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're so good to us. And I just pray this week that I pray you would do miracles of deliverance just through people praying these prayers. That you would do miracles of healing just through people praying. That you would restore peace. Many healings of depression this week, God. Just through people going, wow, it works. It really works. Because you're really real. <laughs> so we thank you that you're really real. <laughs> and that you make your presence known where you're honored. So we honor you today, your word, we honor your spirit. And uh, I just pray for those that don't know you yet, that you draw them into relationship with you. Protect these people today, this week, God. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.